2: novel.
3: It's early December 2004. Another sleepy day in the small city of Danbury, Connecticut. Not far from the New York state line. Cold out, slate grey sky. Not a lot going on for Greg Sinclair. Life as normal.
4: Here's When it changed, I was loading up a propane truck and the driver said, oh, you should have been at the game last night. This guy named Wingfield got his leg broken in seven different places.
3: Greg stops loading. What was this driver on about? There was no baseball or football last night. Who was Wingfield?
4: His bone popped out, blood spurted all over the place. They had to call in extra cops. A place was a mob scene. A mob scene? In Danbury? That's piqued our curiosity. It's like, that just sounds hyper and nuts. You know, I like something hyper and nuts and a little off center.
3: The driver continues. Danbury has a hockey team now, the Trashers, at the arena downtown. Everyone's talking about it. Greg has to check it out.
4: They had a game the next night, and I thought, hmm, maybe I will.
3: So the next evening, Greg and his wife Brenda arrive in downtown Danbury. Date night. Brenda weaves her wheelchair through groups of noisy fans, wearing baggy black T-shirts covered with blue and silver logos. Greg tries to keep up through the crowd. They've never seen this part of the city looking so busy. They pass through the stadium's glass doors and into a packed lobby.
4: You could smell beer, some sweat. You could feel the excitement. The place was ecstatic.
3: Brenda grabs a beer at the bar, and they find their ringside seats. It seems like the whole city's here.
4: Like, uh, you know, very well to do business people, and they all seem friendly and blue collar, such as myself, all coming together. All coming together for blood.
1: And we are live at the Danbury Ice Arena. Hi, everybody. Phil Chubileo with you, and this is Danbury Trashers hockey. The Danbury Trashers are back on home ice, and revenge is on Danbury's mind here tonight. Danbury Trashers ice.
3: The referee walks onto the bright white ice and drops the puck. The game is on.
0: And we've got some pushing and shoving at center ice, as the trashers with their heavy hitters out there.
3: Within seconds, a full-on fight breaks out on the ice. Two players pull off their gloves and square up to each other. The trasher player starts swinging. Beating
0: the proverbial crap
3: of- His shirt
4: tears. His jersey was all ripped up.
1: going to pull this sweater over right now.
4: He ripped it up the rest of the way, which the women love. I don't blame him, I guess. Good-looking dude. And he circled back around and started beating him up all over again.
1: Pounding away with a couple of uppercuts. Big takedown. Big takedown.
4: Date night is off to an electric start. The place went out of their mind. Bedlam breaking loose here in Trashertown. Screaming their heads up, us included.
3: Greg and Brenda had heard that hockey was violent, but wow.
4: Just bad shit crazy, so to speak. What a night here in Danbury, and this isn't even
0: halfway through the first period.
3: In the stands, Trashers fans are doing their bit to power the team towards victory. They hurl insults at the opposition.
0: I'll try
4: to censor myself in case we got little ears listening on the podcast, but you know what I mean. We were laughing our asses off.
3: But Brent's laughter is cut short.
2: All of a sudden, one of the players shot the puck. And it come over the wall.
4: Landed right in her beer.
0: Didn't
3: even get one sip out of it. Once the puck is back on the ice, the game continues and the Trashers start to take control.
0: Trashers get it back in their end, David to the near wing, goes around the
3: net. A player shoots the puck right into the net. The Trashers score.
1: The fans on their feet here at the Danbury Ice Arena. This place is going to Dennis. Places
4: place is jumping up and down, beers being thrown in the air. My wife would be screaming, then the other guy would scream more, and they'd scream together, and she'd scream louder, and then you could almost hear it simultaneously as one unified voice.
3: One unified voice. Danbury behind the trashers. Oh. At the final buzzer, Greg and Brenda stare at each other.
4: I know I'll never forget it.
3: The Denver trash has changed everything forever. But what Greg and Brenda didn't know in that moment was that none of the carnage in the arena was accidental. The wild energy of the night was the result of a series of careful calculations and part of a much bigger unfolding story. Had Greg and Brenda glanced up at the owner's box that night, they might have caught a glimpse of the two behind it all. The man in his early 50s, composed, well-dressed, in a dark suit, kind of scary-looking. And beside him, a teenage boy, just a kid, really. Big, cheeky grin, diamond earrings glistening, full of bravado. A father and son, Jimmy and AJ Galante, heroes or villains, depending on your perspective. This is a story about their team, the Danbury Trashers, probably the most violent hockey team ever. It's a story about the lengths they'd go to win before they lost it all. I'm Claire Crofton, from the teams at Novel and iHeartRadio, This is the fighty pucks. Game one, the Galantes of Danbury. All right, so where are you taking
5: us? Well, this, I'll tell you, my favourite... Pizzeria in Danbury is coming up.
3: I first met AJ Galante last summer. I hopped up into his white SUV for a tour of Danbury.
5: Teenagers, everyone used to hang out kind of in this parking lot area.
3: AJ's yeah, in his late 30s now. Nothing, He's lived in this city his entire life. Knows it like the back of his hand. A hand that's held a lot of slices.
5: There's a lot of good pizza around here. I got two favourites, but this is number one or one A or one B, whatever you want to call it. That's... Really good pizza. If you like pizza, that's really good.
3: We drive through Danbury's downtown. It's pretty, with wide, tree-lined pavements. It's a warm summer day, but the streets are deserted. I notice that a lot of the shops are closed up too.
5: What the hell? There used to be a big pizzeria there. Now that's gone.
3: Jeez. We drive past the Hat City Market with its blue awning, the red brick Hat City Ale House. In case you're wondering, Danbury is sometimes called the Hat City. But the last hat factory closed here in the 1980s. It is still a city that makes things, but peering out the car window wouldn't exactly call it a bustling centre of industry. Or a bustling centre of anything, really.
5: I mean, Danbury, it's not a huge city. There's so many opportunities to leave here if you wanted to. You're so close to New York. You know, a lot of kids I grew up with end up moving.
3: But not AJ. I always
5: want to just stay where I'm from. You know, it, it would be too easy to just go to a big, big city and just kind of get lost in the mix there.
3: In Danbury, AJ definitely did not get lost in the mix. He and his family stood out.
5: So we're about to come up on the road I grew up on.
3: That's why I've come here, to hear their story. A story that starts in what looks like a very comfortable house on a quiet, suburban street. If I was to drive past like 20 years ago, what would I see?
5: We'd be running up and down the driveway. There'd be a million kids over there. And we used to wrestle, like, professional wrestling site. We used to wrestle on the yard. And then there's a pool on the side there.
3: AJ Galante grew up here, with his mum Razan, his sister Candice, and his dad, Jimmy. It was perhaps Jimmy that loomed the largest in his life, for AJ and for the city of Danbury, Jimmy was kind of a big deal. Yeah, Mom, where
4: are you? It's my pleasure to be here
5: this evening uh, to recognize Jim Galante.
3: This is a childhood home movie AJ played me from a beautiful sunny day when a crowd gathered at a charity baseball game to thank the family for their donations. Those are just
5: a few things that
1: they have done for people in the greater Danbury area
3: and beyond. At the mic, AJ's mom is being congratulated by the city's mayor and the state senator. And because
5: of the fund that Roseanne and Jim set up, some of those men and women, some of those families, are better able to
3: afford just the basic needs of the existence of a family. And that's not the only thing Jim and Roseanne have done. AJ's dad, Jimmy, was not shy about spending money. The children's wing at the hospital, a new playground, the football stadium for the high school. The Galantes paid for it all. Jimmy's money came from trash. He ran a waste management business. Or more accurately, he ran a multi-multi-million-dollar statewide trash empire. Automatic Waste Disposal, or AWD. Jimmy had built it from the ground up. And in Danbury, he'd consumed or driven out much of the competition. And trash was more than a job. It was a dynasty. Jimmy's own father had run a small garbage business. And AJ was expected to be the next in line. Trash was his destiny.
5: From birth, it kind of was, hey, AJ get involved with the trash company. I didn't really have, how do I explain this? I just knew I was going to go into the business, you know.
3: This all meant that when he wasn't at ribbon-cutting events held in honor of his family, AJ was down at the garbage yard with his dad. School holidays, most weekends.
5: From five years old, I was just sitting in the chair watching him, so you're absorbing like a sponge all this stuff, you know, not doing anything. I just sit there and watch him and watch how he conducted business.
3: As AJ watched Jimmy, the boss, at work, in his lavish office, lined with signed photos of movie and sports stars, he'd notice when Jimmy wasn't at home with the family, he would change.
5: At home, he was dad. Like, you know, a normal dad, I guess. I only have one dad. And then outside of the home, he was still dad, but it was different. Like, you know, at home, I could joke with him, funny, ha-ha, he, you know, all that stuff. But I knew... You know, outside of that, it was just a little different.
3: Even at this young age, AJ started to realize that, to some people, his dad could be kind of scary.
5: Yeah. I mean, um, intimidating and uh, very respected. You know, he he's he, powerful.
3: AJ told me how, one day, when he was with his dad at the yard... Jimmy turned to him and pointed to a guy driving one of the forklifts.
5: He'd be like, listen, I'm going to bring this guy in, you fire him.
3: Little AJ immediately bursts into tears.
5: I thought he meant to light someone on fire. And I remember crying because I was like, I don't want to light somebody on fire, you know, I'm only five.
3: Jimmy tried to reassure him. I want you to sack him, tell him he's lost his job. And I'm
5: like, i am I going to tell a grown man? And he was joking, obviously, but I didn't even like playing around like that, you know, because uh, this was wrong. I guess I get the sensitivity from my mother.
3: Jimmy never actually did get AJ to sack an employee. But these kind of jokes made it clear that his dad knew how to intimidate people. A useful trait when running a multi-multi-million-dollar statewide trash empire, I guess. And in time, AJ started to appreciate his dad's bad boy attitude. Soon, when he wasn't eating pizza or hanging out at the garbage yard, he was watching WWF Wrestling and always rooting for the villain.
5: I always knew when the bad guy was coming out. Like, he had a presence, he or she, and everyone wanted to see him lose. But at the same time, they liked him in a weird way. It was strange. It was a strange psychology.
3: One childhood birthday... Jimmy arranged for two of AJ's wrestling heroes, The Rock and Triple H, to come to his party. Two of the world's biggest wrestling stars showing up to some backyard in Danbury. That was the power of Jimmy Galante. But for AJ, that flashy show of influence was a double-edged sword. Because as much as he loved wrestling...
5: You know, you start to wonder, you know, are people going to look at me different? I never wanted that.
3: AJ would worry about how other people would judge him because of his parents' public displays of wealth and influence. Kids
5: don't respect that. You look out and you see all your buddies out there and, you, you know, you start to get paranoid. Like, are, are they jealous? Oh, you're spoiled. You know, we're on the stage and they're in the stand. You know, I used to be very embarrassed of what I had, ashamed in a weird way. And I think that would bother my dad because he's like, you should be proud. But he doesn't understand, I didn't come from his environment, so I was always an underdog with that.
3: Like all kids, AJ was striving for independence, for a path of his own. One day in October of 92, when AJ was six, he was sure he'd found it.
5: I remember it was a rainy weekend and my mom was just like bored in the house. She's like, let's go do a movie or something.
3: Jimmy's at work, and for once, he hasn't brought AJ with him.
5: She took us to the movie theater, and I remember the only thing playing for kids at the time was the Mighty Ducks. From Walt Disney Pictures, he's a hotshot attorney who's never
1: lost. Yes! Forced to coach a hockey team that's never won. Keep swinging, maybe I'll give him a cold.
3: The Mighty Ducks is a story about a children's hockey team. A bunch of dorky misfits. At first, they suck
1: can will try to teach them how to win
4: You
3: think
0: losing is funny? Well, not at first but Once you get the hang
3: of it But spoiler alert They end up being coached to glory They'll
1: teach him That winning isn't everything Let's have so fun out there When I
5: watched this movie I don't know what it was about the movie That I just I was like, oh wow, this looks awesome The
0: Mighty Ducks
3: When I watched The Mighty Ducks I loved it too It's a classic 90s underdog tale about finding purpose in friendship and teamwork, and it's surprisingly sweet. But that's not what drew AJ in. He loved the hockey.
5: The aggressiveness, lots of hitting, the fighting, the craziness.
3: AJ left the cinema that rainy October day, buzzing and desperate to learn more. And as he did, he realised, holy shit, hockey is wrestling on ice.
5: You couldn't see that anywhere else in any other sport, you know? I mean, football, you have hitting and stuff, but hockey was such a fast-paced game. That was it. I was just like, oh, man, I want to do this. This is my calling right here, I think.
3: For AJ, hockey had one other crucial ingredient.
5: No one else around here was doing it. My classmates, everyone was playing football, baseball, basketball. No one else really seemed to like hockey at the time. So I was like, you know what, I could stand out doing something different
3: hockey could be AJ's way to step out of his dad's shadow to do his own thing to shine Triple H on skates the rock of the rink it just clicked you
5: know it's like everyone kind of has their thing as a kid where something just clicks
3: but little did he know even without hockey his dad's shadow wouldn't be around for much longer because Jimmy Galante was having trouble with the law It's the summer of 99. AJ Galante is 13 years old. His buddies are spending long, lazy days cutting loose. But AJ, he's at the garbage yard with his dad, Jimmy.
5: The summer going into my eighth grade, I was there every day, basically. We were at his office, and he just called me in and... We are eating pizza or something, I think. I think he was trying to soften me up with pizza.
3: Jimmy looks directly at AJ and tells him straight.
5: Hey, listen, Daddy made a mistake with some tax stuff and I should have paid a little more than I did. Unfortunately, we can't resolve it, so I I may have to go to prison for a year, but I'll be back.
3: Jimmy had just been convicted of tax fraud and was about to start a year-long prison sentence. This news would have broken most kids, but... AJ says to him, it didn't seem like a big deal.
5: You know, even a day without your father, you know, who's been in your life your whole life, you know, um, it's tough. But even at young ages, even younger than eighth grade, my father would always tell me how it was and prepare me. Like, hey, listen, you know, I screwed up. This is what I did. And I'm going to probably pay for it. And I was at least prepped. You know, it was never a surprise with my father.
3: Jimmy had talked with AJ about how one day the cops might come knocking.
5: You say, hey, listen, you know, if this happens, this may happen. You know what I mean? He always prepared me. And sometimes things he told me happened, sometimes it didn't. You know, some people may think that that's a little much for a young kid. But honestly, looking back, I'm glad.
3: Of course, AJ did miss his dad. But at least he still had the sport that had become his passion. <laughs> By this point, he was a regular at the nearest rink to Danbury, just over the state line, and he was getting a reputation. When AJ put on his pads, his helmet, laced up his skates and glided out onto the ice, he was not afraid to put his body on the line. And that's how he met a kindred spirit.
5: My name is Thomas James Pompicello Jr., otherwise known as T-Bone in the hockey world and also, uh, you know, in the streets. Uh, I am 53 years old. 6'2", 240, and I'm a Scorpio. I'm single, I'm ready to go.
3: T-Bone is an absolute giant, rarely seen without a fat cigar hanging on his lower lip. He has his own nickname tattooed across his body.
4: It's about five,
5: six inches lettering, goes across the back.
3: When he first met AJ, Tommy T-Bone Pompicello was known for being a tough, no-nonsense coach partly because he'd trained the American Army's hockey team. In the mid-90s, he was running training clinics for promising young players.
5: Those kind of clinics, you usually find out who's got it and who doesn't, and who wants to learn and who doesn't want to learn. And I just, you know, I remember seeing this kid on the ice.
3: AJ was smashing into players on the ice, picking himself up with a shake of the head and doing it all over again. His laugh echoing across the ice... T-Bone skated up. He wanted to see what this kid's deal was.
5: He wanted to be a goaltender, and I convinced him, get out of there, you know. And he started skating up front, and, um, you know, we hit it off. Even back then, AJ liked to hit.
3: Hit, as in smashing opponents against the forwards or down onto the ice. Perfectly legal in hockey. It sounds perfectly painful to me. But AJ?
5: Tough as fucking nails, that kid.
3: Over the next few years... D-Bone would help AJ hone this style of play.
5: I realized when I got into high school, I wasn't going to be a big goal scorer. So I decided I was going to dedicate my time to really just keeping the other team from scoring. And athletically, you know, I was playing more and more and uh, I hit a growth spurt and I was dominating the league at that one point And it was just everything, everything I wanted to do.
3: By the September of 2000, Jimmy was released from prison, back running his trash empire. Life was getting back to normal. Except now, AJ was living his Mighty Ducks hockey fantasy. And when I look at the photos of AJ as a teenager, he certainly looks happy, confident at least. Like most teens in the early noughties, he also looks quite ridiculous. I'm not trying to be mean here, like I'm also a child of that era. And like so many of my school photos, the kindest thing you can say is, they're off their time.
5: We wore everything so big. I mean, my shirt would probably be down to (laughs) below my knee. Big jeans, big pants, shorts. I'd be wearing a hat that was too big. I feel like I screwed up my body temperature because I was always so hot. I had so many layers of clothes on me.
3: (laughs) The Backstreet Boys have a lot to answer for, if you ask me. In some of these photos, he's giving the camera some attitude, a bit of a trout pout. Both his ears are pierced.
5: From the outside looking in, without talking to me, you'd probably think I was a punk or a bad kid. The way I dress, you know, I think people, you know, you judge a book by its cover.
3: I think I recognised the kind of kid AJ was from my own school days. A bit of a class clown, but popular. Loved by those that knew him and eye-rolled by some that didn't. He didn't care about the haters, though. He was the bad boy star of the high school hockey team. Life was pretty good. But AJ had no sense of what was waiting for him out on the ice. That's coming up after the break.
1: Snag a job is where America goes to hire. With the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring.
4: Sure, absolutely.
3: We can. Yeah, nice cold. The final stop on my tour of Danbury with AJ is the Ice Arena. It opened here at the turn of the millennium, although it was much smaller back then. We head inside and walk to the edge of the brilliant white ice. We're greeted by a very welcome cool blast of air. There's a junior league practice on that day. Kids of a similar age to AJ when he was playing for his high school. They're soaring across the surface.
5: You know what I love about hockey? It's got the best sounds. You know, the skates grinding the ice, the pucks on the sticks, the pucks hitting the boards. You could close your eyes and kind of have an idea of where things are going.
3: I've got to tell you, the first time you see hockey in person, it really is something. The skill and the speed of the players. AJ always talked about the aggressiveness, but all I can see is the grace. Players tilt as they weave across the ice like figure skaters. They move at speed and then stop suddenly and change direction. Sometimes in unison, Starling's putting on a show.
5: It doesn't translate on TV. You have to really watch in person to really understand um, just how hard of a game it truly is. These guys are on not even a quarter inch blade on ice. You know, they're wearing 10 to 15 pounds of equipment and um, just the skill level is just incredible.
3: It's really impressive watching the kids whiz past us, but it must be stirring bittersweet feelings for AJ, given the story I've asked him to tell me. It's 2004, AJ's senior year. His team have a game tonight.
5: You go to school during the day and you just know you're playing at night. That day of school is always weird because you're not really concentrating on school, you're thinking about, you know, the game.
3: AJ and his teammates are hyped. When they finally arrive at the rink, they kit up. White jerseys, black hockey pants, shin pads, mouth guards, helmets. Pre-game pep talk from the coach, fist pumps. The team glides out onto the ice. Their opponents are waiting. Players line up, primed. The puck drops from the referee's fingers. The game is on. The swish and scrape of blades in the ice. The cheers of the crowd rising from the stands. At first, things are going well for AJ's team. They're dominating.
5: My mom used to say, she always knew when our team was on, when she heard the passes hit the sticks. It has a distinct sound, and that's when she knew, oh, this is going to be a good game, they're on today.
3: Puck to stick, stick to puck. But then things start to slip.
5: No one had possession of the puck and I was after it and then one of their guys was after it. I just end up launching into him. Another clean, beautiful hit. It actually knocked his helmet off.
3: The two teenagers lie motionless on the ground. A hush falls over the arena.
5: I didn't feel any pain or anything and I just remember getting up. And my right skate blade at the bottom of my skate, it got stuck in like a little groove in the ice. And I went to turn and my right leg didn't really turn with me.
3: And that's when the adrenaline starts to wear off.
5: All the pain just started rushing to my knee and I knew something was wrong.
3: Seriously wrong. AJ falls. Medics rush onto the scene. AJ's loaded onto a stretcher. Out into an ambulance. An ambulance.
5: An hour drive to the hospital, you know, you're trying to, like, keep your leg up. It was painful.
3: Not just painful. Devastating. At the hospital, the doctors tell him his season's over. In fact, he'd never play hockey again. And in that moment, he understands there's something much more serious happening.
5: What hurt me the most was, I knew that once I stopped playing hockey, my youth was over. Once hockey ends, you're working, you're at the yard, you're not going to be playing sports again. You're going to work, and that's it. Things will never be the same again. That was it for me.
3: All that independence he'd fought for, built up since he'd sat in that cinema at age six watching the Mighty Ducks, over, in a flash. After surgery and a couple of weeks' bed rest, AJ returns to school on strong painkillers. The prankster has lost his swagger and gained a couple of crutches. He hobbles into the building, head bowed, he shuffles down the hallway and stops
5: everyone's looking at me and you know when you walk into a room and you feel people like looking at you you know you could feel it and i'm like was there something on my face why is everyone looking at me like this is weird
3: aj shrugs and then stops again
5: my science teacher at the time came up to me and he said aj congratulations this is amazing this is unbelievable i'm like what (laughs) what are you talking about he goes to team you, you 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 and your dad are starting this hockey team
3: aj skips class to find a copy of the day's paper
5: and on the front page is a picture of my dad saying that he's bringing professional hockey to danbury he's uh, going to put his son in charge of the team and i'm like dumbfounded I'm in total shock. I'm numb. I'm like, this is the craziest thing I ever heard in my life.
3: His dad has told the whole city he's making AJ the president of a pro hockey team. A quiet panic descends.
5: I'm 17. I know how to manage teams on video games. But I don't know how to do it in real life. I'm a kid.
3: When the school day is finally over, AJ heads home fast. Well... (laughs) as fast as he can in his current condition anyway. He needs answers.
5: I go home, and my dad would come home every single night, 7.30 on the dot.
3: The door opens, Jimmy comes in, but he says nothing. Just sits down to eat. Same time they do every night.
5: We just sat there, quiet, awkward, and just ate dinner. Nobody said anything about the newspaper article. I didn't say anything to him. He didn't say anything to me.
3: The rest of the evening plays out in the same awkward silence. Eventually, AJ goes to bed. But that night, he can't sleep.
5: I was just staring at the ceiling. And uh, you know, when you're just restless, you can't sleep. All these thoughts are going in my head like, I can't do it. It's too much pressure. I don't know what I'm doing.
3: But he did know one thing.
5: My dad, when he wants to do something, he doesn't care. He's like, you know what, I want to do this. He had a vision and he was hell-bent on it.
3: Hell-bent. Once Jimmy Galante has decided he's going to do something, the adventure is in motion and Jimmy is driving.
5: It's like a rocket ship going off from there. It's nuts.
3: AJ better buckle up. Jimmy's going to make him the most famous teenager in hockey. AJ might not be steering the rocket ship, but he was going to be at the centre of it all, spearheading a new identity for the Hat City. It's time for AJ to tap into his on-ice aggression, to live up to his punk reputation, to make the most badass hockey team on the planet. That's coming up next time on The Fighty Pucks. The Fighty Pucks is produced by Novel for iHeartRadio. For more from Novel, visit novel.audio. The series is hosted by me, Claire Crofton, and produced by me, Joe Wheeler, and Amalia Sortland. The executive producer is David Waters. Story editing from Max O'Brien, Mithali Rao and Austin Mitchell. Our field producer is Babette Thomas. Our fact checker is Dania Suleiman. Our hockey sensitivity reader is Nikhil Desai. Production management from Cherie Houston and Charlotte Wolfe. Sound design, mixing and scoring by Nicholas Alexander. Additional engineering by Daniel Kempson. Music supervision by Nicholas Alexander and David Waters. Original music composed by Eric Phillips. Willard Foxton is creative director of development. Special thanks to Sean Glynn, Katrina Novell, David Vassilman, Sean Tytone, and Beth Ann Macaluso.